After seeing David Beckham ruin his legacy by taking the blood money of Qatar 2022, we would like to take this opportunity to confirm that we are in no way interested in such a deal and expect to be rewarded accordingly. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. You can find us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, and you can also follow our sponsor at Sports Club Map, both on Twitter and on Instagram. My name is Tommaso Dami, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr... Rory, hello. Sorry, you caught me by surprise there. I think we should quickly tell any new listeners um, what Sports Club Maps do. What do they do, Tommy? Well, Sports Club Maps is a great company based in Scotland, and they basically print maps from all over the world featuring uh, the logos and the cities that have a big sports club. Are we talking only about football? No, we aren't. We're talking about any sport you could possibly imagine. They've got mugs, they've got mouse pads, they've got posters, they've got plenty of shit. What do you want to add, Rory? They're sick. And quite excitingly, to go along with our AFCON specials in the future, there could or there should, could, should be some AFCON themed maps being released too alongside the pod. So keep your eye out for them and follow them at Sports Club maps and Rory why is it very important to follow them because on Monday nights what do we do to do to do we're gonna start doing giveaways again we did it once and then forgot which I know is very much not like us but we are (laughs) gonna start doing the giveaways again and it is vital that you follow them us and listen to the pod great Rory how have you been how's this week been I know you're a little sick uh yeah it's been a bit of a slow week um I've been off ill most of the week uh which is Obviously, shite, but happens to coincide with the beta release of Football Manager 2022. And that's not why I've been off work ill, but it's a happy coincidence. Let's just say that. Rory and Football Manager are so synced that it gets sick in the exact <laughs> time. My body, just, my body just shuts down. Once it, once it saw that it was released, it was like, oh, okay, relax, guys. Relax, guys. We need some sofa time. It's beautiful weather in Milan these days. There are some very gorgeous fall days. Very pretty to walk at the park and see all the foliage on the trees. And then, of course, this weekend it's my birthday and there is a 90% chance of rain on Saturday, Sunday and Monday that we are supposed to get the day off. So it's going to be a long, rainy weekend. But and we you were already... hoping the only rain would be you making it rain in the strip clubs, right? But unfortunately yeah. <laughs> not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it was also midweek action in Serie A. We've had the League Cup in England, and this is what we're mainly going to discuss before previewing these weekend's fixtures. And then in our weekly topic, we're joined by AFC Finners to discuss the life of one of England's greatest footballers. Who am I talking about? Well, just keep on listening and you'll find out yourself. Rory, are you ready to jump to the Euro review? Let's do it. Welcome aboard the Euro Review Blimp. I'm here with my co-pilot Rory, and we're ready to take you through this midweek footballing action across England and Italy. Rory, where do you want to start from? The Bel Paese or England? <laughs> you mean God's country. Um let's start in Il Bel Paese. Let's do it. Let's start in Il Bel Paese. Well, the first thing that I want to talk about, uh, I want to apologize to our friend Max Heger, who was listening to our latest episode. And uh, while driving by a school, 
I said a bunch of bad words concerning Inter's game and especially Juventus. Sorry about that, Max. But today I'm in a different mood. Also, stop driving past primary schools, you nonce. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Max. You please hit us up about that one. We have a bunch of question marks around our heads as we speak. But no, I'm very happy because Inter have managed to keep a clean sheet only for the second time this season. It was against Empoli. It was an away game. We won 2-0 in pretty convincing fashion. I kind of love, I don't know about you, Rory, but playing with the 3-5-2, I kind of like when sort of like the 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 the, 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 the two wing the two wings both score. So it was mm. Di Marco, the second goal, and D'Ambrosio, the first goal. Which, well, D'Ambrosio is kind of a crazy stat. This was his first game as a starter this season. And it's the seventh consecutive season that he's been in the score sheet for Inter Milan. Wow. Yeah. He's a, he's a, player, that's, he's a player that's often ignored, is D'Ambrosio. But I feel like whenever he plays, he comes up with fairly big moments, no? No, no, he does. He does. And there was a very nice siparietto, we call it in Italian. Uh, siparietto is just like a gag between two people. At the end of the game, you could hear Empoli's manager calling D'Ambrosio out and saying, Danilo, sempre tu, which means Danilo, always you. It was referring to a game that was played at the San Siro on the last match day. Three years ago, Inter needed a win to to play Champions League football the following season and Empoli needed points to stay up. Guess who scored? Danilo D'Ambrosio. Of course, one of the two goals was by him and uh, he basically put a sentence, uh, a death sentence on Empoli. So D'Ambrosio, when he heard that last night, he clapped back and he said, as long as I'm playing, you cannot stay in Serie A. <laughs> and the Empoli manager proceeded to tell him to go fuck himself. But it was all in, a, it was all banter. And of course, they were just chatting after the game. But the goal was beautiful. Did you see it? Nice give and go with Alexis Sanchez. It was, and it was a outside of the foot assist from Sanchez. I want to say a little, little like yeah, flip yeah, yeah. with the outside of the foot. Really beautiful. Really annoyed that I left him on the bench this weekend, but or this week even. But a beautiful assist, and you know I enjoy seeing Sanchez tear it up, even if it is against Empoli, I suppose. And then a beautiful assist from Lautaro Martinez to Federico Di Marco, his second goal of the season, to make it 2-0. And now they come back to Milan um, and they can focus on the next game. So the next game is going to be against Udinese. So before these four games against the Sheriff, Juventus, uh, Empoli and Udinese, I said that we needed at least 10 points. It looks like we might as well be on the way to getting them, having drawn only against Juventus and having won both against the Sheriff and Empoli. After the game against Udinese, uh, Inter are going to play Sheriff, and then there is going to be, before the international break, on November 7th, the big one, AC Milan Inter. And Ooh. this game is going to be fundamental because as we speak, Napoli haven't played against Bologna yet, and AC Milan are currently sitting top of the league. Inter Milan are trailing by seven points, and so it goes without saying that winning the derby is going to be crucial if we want to stay in the title race. We could decrease the deficit by four points. If AC Milan win, it would be ten. And that's kind of a point of no return, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, Rory? I'm sure we'll talk about it closer to the time. But do you want to maybe retract your prediction about Milan falling out of the title race and them not being about it? 
Look, I'm going to talk about them right now. Um, AC Milan win 1-0 against Torino. But again, it's one of those wins that are not convincing. It's uh, one of those teams that the teams... Uh, one of those wins that the teams who, who try to win the title need desperately. You are going to win beautiful games, 6-0. Mm-hmm. And then there are the tough ones that you need to win 1-0. But I'm not fully convinced. Um, they seem to always win by a margin of one goal except against Bologna. But again, in that game, they were playing against nine men. Yeah, so, that's a kind of a big asterisk against that game, I think. So, I don't know. And the players are starting to be very mouthy. So, I don't really know. I still think that they're going to be found out. However, we have to talk about the most beautiful man in football, Olivier Giroud. Oh, of course, it, it was like him. nobody wanted him over the summer, but then he's just fit in with the oldies, with the elderly uh, clan. <laughs> the old retirement Milan. home side yeah, of the San Zero. Exactly. But right, if he, like, and we're getting well into the future now, but if he wins Serie A with Milan, he right, doesn't, he won't. If, if, his career could actually low-key be really fucking impressive. <laughs> like, it, it he's won impressive. a lot. He's won it, everything. It, it is already impressive. And it's all yeah. seasoned by some beautiful goals that people will never forget. Like that Scorpio kick oh, goal. Against that, Palace. Oh, yeah, that was insane. Yeah. That was insane. So, well done, Olivier Giroud. AC Milan fans are surely happy. And I wanted to talk quickly about Torino. Torino are... Man, Torino, I feel really bad for them because they're playing good football, but they're not getting the results that they wanted, that they want. This last game was against AC Milan. They lost 1-0. The only win in their last five games was against Genoa, 3-2, and then they lost to Napoli, again, 1-0. To Juventus, 1-0, again, at the death of time, and they drew to Venezia. It, uh, and the funny thing is that they've conceded only 11 goals so far, which makes them the third best defense in Serie A. And they've conceded less goals than teams like Inter, Atalanta, Lazio, Juventus, Fiorentina. So something is definitely happening. They've managed to concede very little, but where are the goals is the big question. Belotti seems to be fully reintegrated in the squad right now, but he's yet to score a goal this season. So things desperately need to turn around. Their next game is against the Sampdoria. We're going to talk about them too. Sampdoria not doing too well. And after Sampdoria, they take on Spezia. So I think that before the international break, they desperately need two wins because they're not where they should be. Rory, did you get a chance to watch the game? What do, what do you think about it? I think with Torino, they're just lucky that there's some very poor teams in Serie A this year. <laughs> I think they're lucky that there are definitely three teams that are worse than them. As you said, you can see that there's progress. They've been relying on Belotti for far too long. So maybe it's about time that some other players stepped up and chipped in with some of the goals because you, if they continue to lean on him, maybe they will find themselves in trouble. But I think we can see that the manager there is kind of turning or starting to turn around a ship that has been drifting aimlessly for years. So I think we can see signs of progress. Like I said, I think there's teams worse than them this year, which I think we're going to move on to. Um, because so I, I think, think they'll be okay. They just they just need a bit of patience, a bit of patience. But the manager seems to be doing a good job there in general. Yeah, and a bit of goals, a bit of patience and a bit of goals. And I think they could even challenge. So they are only six points behind Lazio. I think that this Torino team, if they pick up form, they could challenge maybe for a conference league. But mm-hmm. we know, we know that up there it's going to be very tight because there is another contender for the conference league. They play with a black and white shirt and they are also known 
as the thieves from Turin. Rory, what am I talking about? Rubentus. Rubentus. <laughs> I'm talking about them. They fall short of Sassuolo, who come back for the first time in their history. They come back from Juventus with three points in the back. Beautiful chip by one of the shortest mm. men in Serie A, Maxime Lopez. Uh, and that's, was... a, that's a close run field when you've got Insigne in it. You know, there's a lot of short people around in Serie A. He, he's two cent- three centimeters taller than Insigne, but I Oof. guess that, that the two of them, Rory, if you saw them in your class, you would not be surprised yeah, sitting down yeah. with the rest of the kids. And My kid's also... got a great beard. My God. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That's sick, Maxime. Where are you from? <laughs> Um, but no, they win with another goal by Fratesi, who scored his second consecutive goal in Serie A. And it just feels that Sassuolo is one of those clubs that can really, really bring uh, consistent players to the international uh, to the international panorama. Let's not forget that it, that's also where Demiral, currently mm-hmm. at Atalanta, former Juventus uh, player, comes from. And what do you think, Locatelli, and you know, like they feel like this team do, they do produce players and. It was an interesting game because Sassuolo definitely had a game plan of just catch them on the break, but it worked every single time. Juventus was so wasteful with the ball. Like that first goal was such an incisive break, really like incredibly quick, great finish across the goalkeeper. And then they just waited for Juventus to do nothing and Juventus did nothing. I feel like with Allegri, now I'm I'm torn this year, Tommy, because as we made, or this week even, because as we made clear, we're playing each other in Falta Calcio this week, and it's not gone well, and I am blaming one person, and that is Massimiliano Allegri. I have had to sit and hope that Juventus do well, which I don't feel, I had to shower afterwards, I don't feel good about it. Um, And he cannot, his teams cannot attack, he cannot get things out of, he can't get product out of strikers. He's got, now Morata, we can say he's, I don't know if I've seen him onside yet. Like, within the first five minutes of that game, I think he was called offside twice. So, you know, he's working with not the best tools. But to be able to get nothing out of Chiesa and next to nothing out of Dybala, when Pirlo got a lot more out of them, like, has football moved on from Allegri since he left? He he said it. I mentioned it when in that bit of uh, rant that I had in the latest episode. Uh, Allegri said it, quote-unquote, we are going to try and nibble mm. points for the rest of the season. It sounds like it's their game plan. It sounds like they're never going to go out there, at least until things the wheels start properly turning. They're just going to try and score that one goal and nibble their win away. Allegri has said it loud and clear. And right now they're sitting 13 points behind AC Milan, is the title challenge over? Because then we've seen that Juventus just need two consecutive results, somebody to sleep up top maybe, and then they're back in the game. But I think that right now, 13 points is becoming a very difficult lead to overcome considering how well Napoli and AC Milan are doing. Yeah, that's almost use it. Like for for Milan Milan will lose the odd game, but there's no way they're going to lose enough games for Juventus to catch them up, really. You'd have to lose, what, three, six, nine, four games? Mm-hmm. And Juventus to win at that exact time. I think, yeah, the title challenge is maybe over already, although that's definitely been said about Juventus before, and we're definitely jinxing it. 
But, you know, maybe they can get the Conference League. Maybe they'll get the Conference League. That would be hilarious. But, yeah, I was <laughs> listening to a, um, to a Juventus YouTuber, if you understand Italian, with a strong southern Sicilian accent. Of course you can he's look southern. Him. Why is he supporting Juventus, for God's sake? Because they don't have good teams down there. <laughs> so there are a lot of... They, they always say it, Juve in trasferta, Calabria deserta. Which means <laughs> when Juventus play away, Calabria becomes a desert. <laughs> Although I do realise I've just said that as a normal than Arsenal fan, so I take that back. I apologize. <laughs> true, true. You would have a few teams to pick from in the north, especially in the northwest of England. Uh, but the next game, I would be a little worried if I was a Juve fan because their next game is against Verona. And Verona have, haven't failed to score in a game since September 13th. Together with Torino under Igor Tudor, this is another mm. team that has been very impressive. They've just drawn 1-1 against Udinese, thanks to a penalty by Rory's Fantacalcio's Barak. <laughs> My very... guy, that guy's killing it this year, you know. He's doing that was so actually, well. That, that was actually kind of funny. The penalty was given away by my defender, Rodrigo Becal, <laughs> and your player got to take the penalty. But I don't think it's going to be enough for you I to don't think it will help. I don't think it will help. We shall see. But so they drew 1-1 to Udinese. The previous game, they won 4-1 against Lazio. Before that, they managed to put two goals past AC Milan. They were actually leading 2-0, and then they gave mm-hmm. their lead away. And before that, 4-0 against Spezia, 3-3 against Genova, 2-2 against Salernitana, and they won also 3-2 against Roma. They look like giant slayers at times, if they will be on form next week. I mean, at the weekend, I think that Juventus should be worried. And I want to quickly say, with Verona, I am going to win FM22 is officially released and we get the alpha i'm gonna try and stream and i think i'm picking verona as my save to try and get them to win Serie A. there'll be a storyline that we want to talk about when they won Serie A in the 90s my aim mm-hmm. is to repeat that feat with verona so if you're into football manager and you love my voice and face then tune in there will be more details i think Nice, very nice. And I know that I'm looking far into the future, but well, let's start from the near future. Juventus' three, uh, next three games across seven days are going to be away at Verona, at home against Zenit, and at home against Fiorentina. But the real problem, problem comes after the international break, as they will have in seven days, they're going to play Lazio away. Chelsea away and Atalanta at home to then follow up to Salernitana away. I think that that's going to be key in Juventus' season. Mm -hmm. However, we know that the game at Stamford Bridge is not going to be that intense as both teams are pretty much already through the group stage. But definitely nice to see that last-minute winner by Maxime Lopez. Well done, Sassuolo. Atlanta. And he dropped the Sioux as well, which Ooh, the Juve yes. fans are going to... Uh, if they're not already sick of seeing it, they're going to be really sick of seeing it by the end of the season. Mate, you know what I noticed about that clip? The silence that there is in the stadium and him like doing it. You know when you say something too loud in a very quiet place and I'm just like... <laughs> I, you can oh, kind of see it in his face. He's just like, oh, fuck, shall I do it? Yeah, just, just do it to Sioux. It's a once-in-a-lifetime really opportunity, man. Go for it. Go for of it. Of course. Yeah. I love all about the that Atalanta pick up a win with an incredible Ilicic goal. Did you see that one? Baseline. Just as I was, I think the last episode I said Ilicic isn't on it. He's gone, man. And then he just pings that. 
Exactly. That was beautiful to see. Uh, they actually went down against the Sampdoria, Caputo, the goal scorer, and then they came back with a known goal, and then a goal by Zapata, and then Ilicic sealing things up at the 95th minute. Atalanta still are not as convincing as they used to be, but they've got a man whom I have in fantasy football, despite benching him this match day because I thought he was not going to play. Davide Zappacosta, another mm. player with quite an interesting career. And he used to play at Atalanta before, and now he's back. And, you know, they've got their two right-back and left-back out injured until January, Ateboer and Gozens. Zappacosta, who's not a youngin anymore, he's got a lot of experience, though. He's been begging assists and really not making Atalanta fans miss the German and the Dutch. Another good win, very clutch win, comes from Mourinho's Roma. They go down against Cagliari thanks to a beautiful, beautiful goal by Pavoletti, a player that whenever I read his name, I'm like, man, I'm so sad for you for all the injuries you got. Because oh, really? Guy, I don't know much. I don't know much about him at all. He, he man, he was top goal scorer. I, I'm going off the top of my head, but when he was at Genoa one season, he was top goal scorer in Serie A. Then he got a very bad injury. I think his right knee. Then he did another knee. I think. Okay. Um, he, he's just been very unlucky. But then you see him perform on his day, and you're just mm. like, you could. It was have a beautiful done. goal. It's really well taken. Really he well. He could taken. have done so much better in his career if it wasn't for the injuries. And then Ibanez with a very a strong header from, man, that was a strong header, almost edge of the box, uh, puts it in at the 71st minute, and seven minutes later, one of my favorite midfielders in Serie A, together with Barella, he couldn't be there at the Euros because he was injured, and if I was him, I would be furious. He would have been the player to come out of that Italy squad. I know, Lorenzo Pellegrini, ladies and gentlemen. So, in nine games this season in Serie A, he scored five goals and put two assists. If you look at his stats last season, he scored seven goals in 30 games. So, he's already pretty much matched his goal-scoring tally from last year. And I think that it's just going to improve and improve and improve. And if you look at international uh, competitions, in three games in the Europa League, he's already scored two. Now, this player, we've said it, we've repeated it over and over again, he can do it all. He Mm -hmm. can even play as a striker if you want. He's got the vision, he takes free kicks, he's cold as ice... And I think he's one of those players, together with Mancini, I think they're the two players that really stand out. I think they're the two players who've bought in the most into the Mourinho's mentality. What do you think? Yeah, he's definitely getting into it, right? And I was watching it last night. I was like, I think I tweeted, the more I watch Roma, the more I'm convinced that Pellegrini is the the only player on the pitch. (laughs) Like, he does everything for that team. He never stops. And the free kick, we have to say, is absolutely beautiful just pinged into the near corner, like near post corner, just such an important goal for Roma, such an important goal. They really needed that. I think if they'd lost that, they'd be out of, well, they'd be far behind in the race for Europe. And I think that's really key for Mourinho to get that goal. For Cagliari, it's a little bit worrying. It looked like they were going to get something, but now they find themselves bottom of the table below Salernitana, which says something. Um, With only one win so far, yeah. They seem to struggle last year, Cagliari, from what I remember. Is this year going to be one year too far? Look, there are two teams that are... that (laughs) There is a Serie B just waiting for two teams to come. And these two teams are Genoa and Cagliari. About (laughs) about Genoa, now the ownership has changed. But I think that there is... You know that Italians love conspiracy theories about football and everything. 
but it being the first Italian football club, I think that there is a sort of interest in keeping them up. And that's the reason why. And this is, man, this is the, because they, in the, at the end, they always make it. They always manage to get that one point of the relegation zone and not the drop. And that's the reason, and I swear to God, that's the reason why at Fantasy Football, I decided to get Domenico Crescito, Mimo Crescito. Right, oh, right, right, right. To our friends from, yeah, we've got, we were officially friends on the Zenit page, and he, he played at Zenit St. Petersburg, and he's their penalty taker, and he's a center back, and that's already a good reason to have him in fantasy football, a centre-back that takes penalties. Yeah. But I got him because I knew that Genoa would be awarded a lot of penalties. <laughs> and they are always awarded the penalties towards the 90th minute. Dude, just go look at the goals that... I'm going to have to check it out. I'm going to have to check it out. Crescito has scored four penalties, I want to say, this season. They were all towards the 85th. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Okay, that is a bit mad. That yeah, is a bit mad. And they were all towards the death of time. They snatched a 1-1 a draw against the Spezia, this game as well, with a penalty by Domenico Criscito. And I think that they're going to stay up, but one of the two, either Genoa or Cagliari, they are If you bound. look at Cagliari's squad, it isn't that bad. They've got some good players, like Jao Pedro, they've got Strutman, they've got some good, okay, maybe not the fittest, but some good quality Nandets, players there. Nandets, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good football team, but they just don't seem to be... They just don't seem to be able to get the results in. By the way, Rory, have you ever thought leave, playing for Cagliari is probably the best oh. city that you can live in while playing in Italy? It's. I think that a lot of players, for example, Godin, his yeah, wife, yeah, yeah. his wife is from Sardinia. Um, okay, and right. they think that he went there also because it's a great place to kind of. It's a start nice retirement your, home, eh? Yeah, to start to start your retirement a bit. Um, other games that we had this match day, um, we already covered Udinese uh, Verona 1 1. And well, tonight we've got Napoli Bologna with all of my players, Osiman, Lozano, Mario Rui, Di Lorenzo, ready to score a few. And don't forget Rory. Zambo Anguisa, who's going to get one because he's definitely going to get one. Yeah, I think he's going to get one because I've been way too loud. By the way, Rory, I hope I haven't yeah, crossed the line. Tommy <laughs> has been on WhatsApp all week. Just me, me, me. Do you remember this? Only five hours? Mate, you're scared yet? Honestly, do not ever go into a competition with an Italian. It's an absolute nightmare. Well, your uh, national team knows something about that, Rory. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very true. Very true. But I, I also wanted to talk about, Tommy, sorry, I wanted to talk about the red card in Salernitana Venezia. I, 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 I would, what the I fuck would, was that? I was going to introduce that. You can talk about it. What happened, Rory? So Ethan Ampadu, who was in my fantasy team, and oh, I started him because he had the 95% certain to start. I was like, okay, they're against Salernitana. They're probably going to keep a clean sheet. Let's do it. And then he does an incredible last-ditch tackle on the striker, gets the ball, clears it, and for some reason, the ref gives a straight red card. Now, I do not know what he's seen there or what, planet he's on but when the ball goes the way the defender wants it to go that's usually a clue that the defender got the ball right yeah true i do not understand what did you think what did you make of it no it was ridiculous and before that i just read i was very happy that he got a red card because you had him in your fantasy squad oh mate i was fuming when i saw the tackle i was fuming but then I read that the Venezia manager really needed to be calmed down during the mm. post-game press conference because he said, 
we did not like we did not fight so hard to get to Serie A to see this type of bullshit happen. Don't forget that Venezia were winning one nil, and eventually Salernitana came back and won two one. These games are crucial for these teams, and I understand. I understand the anger, but Rory, I don't know if you heard the new idea that Serie A had about refereeing controversy. Are you ready? Don't talk about it. No, they're going to explain their decisions to the fans. They are going to do a live really? stream after the game. Wait, that's incredible. I think, I, I just think it's a little, I think they should just have a fucking microphone on the pitch like they do in the NFL. We've already Not, talked about it and explained the decision right away. It's a step in the right direction. Just, I would say one thing to whoever's doing this, turn the comments off. Do not enable comments. Do not allow people to chip in during the live stream. Have it just broadcast, no input, because that's not going to be a nice thing to read. But I think that's a great idea. At least it's a step in the right direction. And the Premier League will never fucking do that. No way. Never no for, way. Never forget, Rory, that every time something sounds like a good idea in Italy, we find a way to fuck it up. And I feel like it's going to be the same thing here. <laughs> the connection is not going to work. Uh, somebody's going to swear live. Somebody's going to cry. I don't know. Something is going to happen. But, Rory, before we go to England, I'm just going to cover these weekend's fixtures because we start on Saturday at 3 p.m. Italian time with a big one. You might remember them squaring off for two consecutive years i want to say in the coppa italia final we're talking about atalanta and lazio they're going to play Oof. each other in bergamo and i think that this game will tell us a bit more about both teams also because lazio one of the teams that i haven't covered have just won one nil against fiorentina but i still don't understand who they are the sarri blueprint is kind of hard to be found still uh, they're not scoring a lot of goals. They're conceding a lot. They win 3-1 against Inter, but then they fall 4-1 against Verona, 3-0 against Bologna. So I think that this game should tell us a bit more about two teams that have been underperforming, in my opinion, so mm -hmm. far. Then we've got Verona-Juventus. Keep your eyes on that one. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if uh, Verona got one or three points out of this one. And then Torino-Sampdoria. Can the Granata finally get the much-needed three points. And then, on Sunday, October the 31st, a.k.a. Halloween, a.k.a. my birthday, at 12.30, we've got Inter taking on Udinese at the San Siro, followed by Fiorentina Spezia, Genoa Venezia, Sassuolo Empoli, Salernitana Napoli, Rory, the Campania Ooh, Derby. The first one in a very long time. The first one in a very long time. The scenes are going to be insane. It's not the first, it's not the first derby that we've seen in Campania as Benevento were in Serie A last mm -hmm. year as well. But this one, I hear that the rivalry is a region that I don't know a lot about, but I hear that the rivalry between Salerno and Napoli, it's pretty big. Is Benevento, it in Naples or Salerno? It's in Salerno. They're going to play in Salerno. Oh. And then, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a big one. Will AC Milan be found out by their arch enemy, Mr. Jose Mourinho, as AC Milan <laughs> traveled to the capital to play Rome? Man, just you, just you wait. For if Roma win that game, no, Mourinho is going to do something crazy. <laughs> Mourinho is going to do something absolutely crazy. By the way, what was he listening to, in your opinion, on his earphones during the game against Cagliari? Our episode from Monday. That's the obvious answer, surely. That's the obvious answer. I that just wanted to, to see if you agreed with me. And <laughs> that, then the, that has the, to be. 
the last game uh, of Serie A for this weekend is going to be on November 1st, Bologna Cagliari. Let's take a plane. Actually, let's turn the wheel around from the blimp and go to foggy and rainy England that saw some League Cup action this week. Is that right, Rory? We did. And guys, the League Cup matters again because Manchester City, for the first time since 2016, have been knocked out of this competition. So now, all of a sudden, the sun is out and people are thinking, oh, okay, this competition that nobody cared about and now might be relevant. And that's the same faith of Bayern Munich, right? Falling 5-0 against Borussia Mönchengladbach. They stacked it much harder than Man City did, I think it's fair to say. So if we go back to Man City's previous loss in the the League Cup, I'm going to tell you they lost 1-0 to Manchester United. Now, the, the players that played for each team, right? So for United, we had Zlatan, Michael Carrick, and Herrera, who's had a hell of a week. I don't know if you heard about him, Tommy. Um, and Antonio Valencia played no, for what did, United. What did Herrera do this week? I didn't hear anything about it. Allegedly, mm. he is the PSG player who's been robbed by a prostitute in his car. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, a lady of the night got into the car at a red light. Um I, I imagine invited, I don't know, and then um, threatened him, took his phone, his wallet, and told him told him to take her to a specific place where she handed back over the phone, but took his wallet and everything else from the car. It's really the case to say, what a bitch. All right, you can keep going. <laughs> well, also, if a curb crawling isn't great, I'll be <laughs> yeah. honest. But anyway, um, the City team that night, going back, was Kelechi Iheanacho, Vincent Company, Jesus Navas, and Willie Caballero all play for City. So that's how long ago. The last time they lost in this competition. So how did they lose? Well, they took on West Ham at the London Stadium. Um, it was nil-nil. It's fair to say it's a game that Manchester City dominated. Um, I think in the highlights, I didn't see many, if any, shots for West Ham. Um But the player who stood out, and this is something that really made me realise about West Ham and the kind of movement they've gone in. They had Areola in goal, right? And he's their second choice. Mm -hmm. True. Like, there are not many teams in the Premier League that have two very, very good goalkeepers. Now, Fabianski, I think, has been underrated for years. I think he's been the best goalkeeper outside of the traditional top four, top six mm-hmm. for a long and time. And um, he's had a super long career, Fabianski. When you talk about experience, he's definitely got it. And honestly, it, it annoys me. There was no reason for Arsenal to sell him. Honestly, there was no reason for Arsenal to sell him. He's a very, very good goalkeeper. But then for them to have someone like Ariola, who's got the experience that he has, like played at PSG, played in the Champions League, like... For him to be their backup, I think they really do have such a good squad there. And he had a great game. He made a series of great saves. There was one from De Bruyne, one from Zinchenko late on, which was a great save. Um, And one from Cole Palmer, who's another promising youngster coming through the City ranks. But Ariola was definitely the standout performer. Man City just could not get that goal. And it goes to penalties. So, penalty shootout. West Ham score all five of their penalties. Um, the standout ones were Dawson scored a beautiful penalty, pinged into the top corner, and Saeed Benrahma got the got the winner to clinch it. Um, Foden missed his penalty, and that ultimately cost them the shootout. But it's been a, a week of kind of great news for West Ham, really, because they've just had news that their stadium is set to be expanded 
to 62,500, which means they'll have the second biggest club stadium in the country. West Ham are going places, guys. I think they genuinely are going places. Tom, are you listening? Was he loud on the WhatsApp group, Rory? Um, yeah, to be fair, he was fucking well happy with that, like as you can imagine. He did, I have heard him talk about how he's not particularly happy about the capacity being expanded. Um, he feels like there's too many tourist fans as there is, and maybe it'll just increase that. But I think for the profile of West Ham as a club, like they are weirdly, and I don't know, I've not said this to Tom yet because I'm afraid he'd shout at me, so I'm going to say it on the pod. But the thing that Golden Sullivan said, the owners, was that they were going to get West Ham into Europe. Mm-hmm. Now, they are very unpopular owners, but they've done it, right? Yeah. Now, Moyes has done it, but they've contributed to it. And they are definitely getting the club moving in the right direction, despite them not being popular. I think they are doing good things. Now, there are plenty of terrible things they've done in the past. They lied to the fans about the move to the stadium, and Tom is definitely going to shout at me when he hears this. But I think that maybe they're starting to do some good things, and West Ham are going to be... They could win a cup this year. They could win a cup this year. They've been the best team in the Europa League so far. In their group stage, they've won all games, scoring seven goals and conceding zero. And in the League Cup, they've now knocked out Manchester United and Manchester City. Like, this is not a team that's that you can take lightly. They are... I think I, they could win something this year. I was so confused. They thought you said that I, Tom is going to shout at me, but you were saying Tom is going to shout at you, me. Yeah, that's you, the accent, man. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. you went on with the West Ham bid, and I was just <laughs> like, I'm not going to get mad at, as long as you don't bring in Inter Milan or something, make a stupid comparison. But no, I got it at the end. And man, West Ham, again, a team with a long history, and they think they're overdue. Like their fans have been waiting way too long for, for a little trophy in their cabinet. And I think it, this is it. And I think that any team that comes up against them that is slightly disorganized, they're going to be in trouble because West Ham will take you to pieces. They know what they're doing. Every player knows their role. And it seems like they've got one or two players in most positions. They definitely need another striker. They definitely need another striker. But in most of the other positions, it seems like they've got it covered for this. Because that step, we've seen plenty of teams qualify for Europe and then just massively fall off in the next True. season because they've not got that squad. And with West Ham, that's not happening. Like In the, the Premier League, they're still fourth, I want to say. like They're doing really, really well. So I think David Moyes needs to be getting a lot more plaudits than he is. And if United are looking for a new manager, they can always do a Juventus and go back to where they used to be and take Moyes back. They could do a lot worse at this point. And I haven't, I haven't watched uh, much West Ham, but I see a lot of talk about Declan Rice really having an incredible season for them and really improving in every aspect of the game since last year. And last year, it was already a standout name, not only in the squad, but in the Premier League. So well, it feels it. like he's really maturing. No, definitely. He is. He's adding, like, he was he started as a centre-back, became a defensive midfielder, and he had very little, like, he wasn't really able to provide much going forward. And then last year, we started to see him become a bit more of a box-to-box midfielder. He was re- making late runs into the box. And now it feels like he can contribute at both ends of the pitch. I see a lot of people getting quite salty on Twitter, usually Italians, about um, saying how bad Declan Rice is. I honestly think he's like a generational player. And in five years, we're going to look and be like, this guy is one of the best players in the world. He's unbelievable. And if West Ham can keep hold of him, because if they're in Europe and they're challenging for things, there's no reason for him to go. If they can keep him, then they can build a team around him for the next couple of years easily. 
I'm just improvising this, but I want to say that there is, you know how it kind of goes in generations, like there was this generation, right now it's kind of um, turning around, but there was a period that there were no centre-backs, but there were a Mm -hmm. lot of strikers, for example. I feel like there is a new generation of very solid midfielders um, all across Europe, in England, in Italy, in France. Um, Spain, you got Pedri and yeah, Ricky, and, yeah, there's a lot of them. And they think, if you think about it, these young generations, they've grown up watching Barcelona with Guardiola. Mm-hmm. And as Guardiola has often said, if I could play with 11 mid- midfielders, I would. So I think that it's a generation that has been influenced by a, a model of the game that relies a lot on the midfielders. It kind of sound, sounds smart now that I say it out loud. I'm proud of <laughs> You ruined it by giving yourself a compliment <laughs> at the end, Tommy. But yeah, yeah. But let's keep going in the League Cup. What do we have next, Mr. Rory? Next, we're kind of going down into the lower leagues a little bit. And we have Sunderland, Tommy, your favourite English team. Sunderland. Go boys. Have reached a quarter final of the League Cup. They drew 0 0 with QPR, but won 3 1 on penalties. Now, this is the first time since 2014, I want to say, that Sunderland have got to the quarter final of the League Cup. That year, they got to the final. And who did they lose the final to, Tommy? Take a wild guess of which team they lost the final to. Is it Arsenal? Man City, because they always win it. They lost to Man City, but. Friend of the pod, I think I, I think I remember you saying that you might have seen him somewhere. Fabio Borini scored in that final. I remember I remember this game and Fabio Borini, I was um, I don't know, it's just this thing has happened twice to me. One time with Zanetti, Javier Zanetti, there Javier Zanetti, and one time with Fabio Borini. Then you just see these people dressed in a, like athletic clothes, you know, like a, a, a leisure, what do they call it? Leisure and, wear. Yeah, leisure, leisure wear. wear yeah. And you just think, man. He can pull it off. Like he really looks like an. He really looks. Oh shit! Look at those calves. Oh wait, let me overtake him. He was running very fast, but I was like, "This guy's got to be somebody." That's the first Fabrini. I'll be honest, man. And this guy was <laughs> fucking running fast, and I had to overtake him. And as I was overtaking him with sweat on my face, like dripping all over the place, I kind of turned around. And they had this expression of like, holy shit, it's really boring. <laughs> but yeah, that was him. That was at the park by my house. So he scored in the final the last time Sunderland made it this far into the competition. Now, the game itself, um, Sunderland, how can you say it, were incredibly lucky. But I feel like for their fans, it's about time they had a bit of luck. Juvent- uh, Juventus, QPR had a goal disallowed late on, a Charlie Austin header. And it was disallowed for offside despite the fact that the Sunderland defender was behind the goalkeeper. No idea how the linesman got that wrong, but congratulations, he did. Um, It then went to a penalty shootout where Charlie Austin then went on to miss a penalty. So he was definitely rattled, but Sunderland won 3-1 on penalties and they are into the quarterfinals. Whoever they get is going to be a pretty tough ask because the teams left are all pretty big teams. But their manager, Lee Johnson, when asked about which team you would like, he said, I'd like Arsenal or Spurs, then we can have one of the real big boys, as he was laughing. (laughs) So I hope, Lee, we get you and we fucking bum you. (laughs) A friend of mine described the Netflix special Sunderland Till I Die as one of the most depressing TV shows. Oh, it's a rough watch. I just rewatched the second series. It's a rough watch. How quickly everything turns to shit, like one joy and 10 days of shit. My favourite bit is they spend... 
they spend three million on a striker because he's got a really catchy chant. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So it's good that their fans have got some something to be happy about. So there's one of the other games. Moving on, we have Leicester two, Brighton two. Leicester win four two on penalties. Tommy, it's all kind of falling apart for your boys, you know. No, it's not falling apart. There is clearly a plan behind this. And the plan is making everybody believe that you've that you've lost it, that you don't know what your direction is anymore. And then when people least expect it, boom, you make a league title push. They don't care about the League Cup, Rory. It's all about the, cha- the Premier League. Well, it could be well timed because they've got Liverpool this weekend, so they're definitely going to need a boom. But <laughs> they, <Yeah. laughs> yeah, they did lose 4-2 on penalties, unfortunately. The interesting thing here was we had two Zambian and XRB Salzburg players getting on the score sheet. So Daka, uh, no, Daka set up a goal for Luckman, and and I want to say it's right, Mwepu, Mwepu um, scored for, Bright, uh, for Brighton, his first goal for the team. But it eventually went to penalties in which Brighton lost. Um, some of the penalties were absolutely terrible, but Pat Sindaka and the McAllister penalty for Brighton in particular are ones you should definitely definitely keep an eye on beyond there we have arsenal of course um, and beating... they're on one they are Mate, on one we beat leeds 2-0 and ben white with a stomach bug was like prime beckenbauer mate taking the ball out of defense running through midfield and passing it on to strikers he was unbelievable he had to come off because he didn't feel too well um but for the 60 minutes or so, I want to say that he was on. He was absolutely outstanding. Leeds obviously weren't taking it that seriously. They've got bigger fish to fry at the moment with very little form in the league. But for Arsenal, it's just a nice, efficient win. Callum Chambers came on a centre-back and within 23 seconds scored uh, to open the scoring. And then Eddie Nketiah getting a beautiful little tap-in to make it 2-0. Look, all these little wins just add to the momentum that Arsenal need at the moment. That takes them through to the next round. Elsewhere, Liverpool beat Preston 2-0 with a ridiculous... You know, we were talking about Divock Origi. Yeah. He doesn't score often, but when he does, it's like key goals or beautiful goals. You need to look up this back heel. It's the most awkward, uncoordinated thing I've ever seen, but it's a beautiful, beautiful goal. That was to make it 2-0. Minamino scored the first one. Someone else we've talked about who often gets on the score sheet. He loves a League Cup goal, a little outside of the flip foot flick um, to knock Preston out. Um, Tottenham beat Burnley 1-0. Nobody cares. Chelsea <laughs> beat Southampton 4-3 on penalties. And Brentford beat Stoke 2-1. So the teams left in the competition are Chelsea, Arsenal, Brentford, Leicester, West Ham, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Sunderland. So Sunderland definitely have their work cut out to get any further. But that's a pretty good lineup of teams, I think. I do agree with you. And Rory, I just love how when things are going south for Arsenal, you will take three minutes to talk about them. When things are going well, you don't want to jinx it. And so you make it quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't I will do it for you. I will do it for you. In the last eight games, no losses. So undefeated in eight, keeping as many as five clean sheets. I'm just going to leave it there. Were you Mate, aware? There Rory? was a table I saw today about. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> there's a table I saw today about the best defenses in the league, and we've only conceded. We've got ten clean sheets in a in a certain amount of games. I can't remember how it was. It was in like 
20 games. In the last 20 games, Arsenal have got 10 clean sheets. We've conceded 18. And Manchester United have zero clean sheets. That's why I saw it on my Twitter. And I was like, oh shit, we're at the top of that table. We were ahead of Liverpool. I don't like, and that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Our defence, that's all I'm saying. But also this one, how many how many total losses across all competitions this season, Rory? Three. Uh, three total losses, yeah, to Brentford, Chelsea. Yeah, the, the first, first two fucking games. three games of the season. Yeah, you got you got <laughs> like... three losses out of yeah the first three games of the season. They were yeah. all else, and then after that, it's something is turning around. There's a very clear moment. There's a very clear moment where we don't have our first eleven, then we have our first eleven, and that is the that's the moment. Honestly, you can see it. But but yeah. will the Halloween themed game this weekend? make the foxes turn into sort of werewolf and hunt Arsenal dreams. We've got Leicester against Arsenal on Saturday. How are you feeling about this one? Um, not too worried, a famous last words. Um, Kamal, friend of Boom. the show, is first he made, is... after eight, yeah, after eight yeah, yeah. positive results. Kamal, friend of the show, has been messaging me going, mate, I'm worried, I'm worried. And I'm like, we beat them 3-1 away last year. Don't worry. We were shite last year. We're all right now. We'll, we can do them. That means we'll definitely lose. But that should be an interesting game. Leicester do have to play Thursday, whereas we don't. So that might help. Um, that kicks off the weekend on Saturday at half past one, so I can get my disappointment out of the way nice and early. Um, then the three o'clock kickoffs on Saturday, we have Watford after that cracking five-goal win at Goodison Park. They take on Southampton, who are starting to find a bit of form. A player for them, Tommy, you need to keep your eye on. Unfortunately, he has announced for England, Tina Livramento, their wing-back. has uh, They bought him from Chelsea, and he has been absolutely exceptional since he's come into Southampton. So he's a player that you definitely need to keep an eye on. He scored last weekend, I believe. He is a great player. Hopefully, he'll be part of England's future because he did make the right decision and picked England over Italy. So good work, Tino. Then we have also at three o'clock, Liverpool versus Brighton. Brighton are not in good form, man. They're not in good form. And no, Liverpool are in very good form. I know. They've got they've, they've, they've drawn four of the last five. They lost 4-1 against the... They lost 4-1 against the City. I guess the good news is that they scored. They managed to score two goals against the Leicester... Uh, in the League Cup, which is something that didn't happen since September the 22nd against the Swansea, also in the League Cup. So but good that's, that's also, the goals again. That's also a rough, one, rough run of fixtures for Brighton. City then Liverpool in the Premier League. It is a rough, a rough run. So you can't blame them for maybe not coming out with many points. Um, the other three kickoffs, we have Chelsea or Newcastle versus Chelsea. Again, the, the kind of three title-chasing teams have got games you would definitely expect them to win this season, uh, this weekend even. Newcastle really are absolutely all over the place, and I think this takeover could be too late for them. I think they, we've said it before, I think they could be relegated before they even get the chance to buy a player. Um, so that's on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Alongside Man City versus Crystal Palace. Now, Palace, we know we've been really unlucky. We've conceded late goals. They've got draws where they should get wins. I think this one, if they get a draw, they will be very, very happy with that City away. I, I, the feeling I get is that this tends, they tend to get battered by City at the Etihad. It tends to be four or five. There was a game a few years ago where Townsend won it for them, but I feel like this tends to be quite a heavy hitter game. So fingers crossed for you 
Eagles, but I'm not holding my breath. We then have Burnley versus Brentford. That is also at three o'clock. And the late kickoff on Saturday, Ooh. half past six, Ooh. the chance for Ollie to save his job is Tottenham versus Manchester United. And this is a big one. This Can we talk about one. it real quick? Do you think Oli is going to stay until the end of the season? Yes. No matter what? I think they... I read somewhere they have to pay $7.5 million to sack him, apparently. Um, so I think they believe in the project, <laughs> in inverted quotes. Um, and I think they've invested quite a bit into him. So I think they're going to give him um, a bit more time. I hope they do, at least until after the Arsenal game. Please let him be in charge when we play him. Please let him be in charge. So you can finally get your win against the whoa, whoa, whoa. Finally, finally. They've not scored against us in bloody three years. Finally get our win. <laughs> Sorry, you're right. I just, I don't know. I threw it out there. And I was like, <laughs> if I'm right, Rory will say something. Yeah. If I'm wrong, he will be very loud. E- um, either way, either way, I'm going to be loud. But yeah, I know yeah. you don't like to talk about your arch enemies, but what about Tottenham? What's on the line for them in this game against the Man United? Is this Could this be seen as a chance to turn their form around? even considering how bad Man United have been? I think, undoubtedly, I think Tottenham are going to be looking at this going, look, can we capitalise on the, the bin fire that is going on at Old Trafford at the moment? It's a weird one because Tottenham beat them 6-1 at Old Trafford last season then lost 3-1 at home. So you really don't know which way it's going to go. For Tottenham, I still don't know what they're trying to be. I don't know what team they're trying to be. Nuno at Wolves, you knew what the team was. You knew what they were trying to do. They're very much a counter-attacking team. Like, keep it tight, nick a goal with Tottenham. I, I don't know. He's kind of like caught between two stools. I don't know what's going on. He's not really seeming to be able to get a tune out of what is a fairly promising front line with, like, Mora, Son, Kane. Like, they really should be getting more goals. So, I think I'm just confused by Nuno's Tottenham at the moment. I was looking at the standings in the Premier League and, uh, well, the, the, the point difference between Tottenham and the table leaders, Chelsea, is seven points. Exactly the, 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 the difference, the deficit that Inter Milan have from the table leaders. But while I'm hopeful for Inter, because I think they can make it, uh, I don't think these teams even have a chance because the, the Premier League is so fucking competitive. And mm-hmm. as my friend Fabio brilliant, brilliantly puts it, he says, imagine being a Premier League fan. At the beginning of the season, you might as well be a title contender or the first team to get relegated. And it's true. Like, there is so much fucking competition. If then you add even the little team that is going to get the unexpected win, it's fucking hell on earth, man. I'm not jealous that to support a team that plays... I mean, I'm happy I support a team that plays in Serie A and not in the Premier League. Oh, mate, honestly, the, just the dawning realization every so often that no matter how good Arsenal get they'll never get as good as City. It's just so depressing. <laughs> it's so depressing. And the competition is ridiculous. Um, but for Tottenham, it's kind of been feast or famine for them. So they've won five and lost four. There's no like happy middle ground. Um, so maybe a bit of stability there would be helpful. Um, but, you know, United are going to be looking to prove a point. I I think it would be very Tottenham to lose to United after they've just been spanked at home. I feel like that would be very on brand for Tottenham. We also have two games on Halloween as Norwich take on Leeds and Aston Villa take on West Ham. Anything to say about these two fixtures? Leeds, this is your chance to turn your form around. This is your chance to get three points. If you don't beat Norwich, you are in trouble because Norwich are fucking terrible. Like, they're really, really bad. Like, I know we say this every year. We said it was Sheffield United last year, but I think Norwich could break the Derby record of the lowest points. Like, they are 
Ooh. terrible. Um, so hopefully Leeds can get three points here. They, they, they have to. Aston Villa versus West Ham. Aston Villa need to turn their season around. It's starting to look a bit gloomy. People are starting to talk about Dean Smith losing his job. They've lost their last three games. This has to be an improvement for them. Whereas for West Ham, fresh off beating Man City, they're definitely going to be feeling it. They're definitely going to be fancying three points. I think that'll be, that's the most interesting game for Sunday without a doubt. And then we finish the weekend on Monday night at nine o'clock, Wolves versus Everton. Everton, just this purgatory team that nobody knows what's going on. And Wolves actually starting to turn things around. Um, I think I talked about it maybe on the last episode, but Huang for them, who they bought from RB Leipzig, has been incredible. They're unbeaten in four, winning three of those. So I think Wolves could pile more misery on the Toffees at Molyneux on Monday night. But that is us, I think, as my voice is definitely going. I'm sorry, guys. Rory, I wanted to congratulate you because you said that you were sick. You were going to try to keep your energy up, but I think it went great. And uh, we covered everything that we needed to cover. And now we're going to let Finn talk because we've got our weekly topic coming up, covering the life and deeds of a great English player. But before that, Rory, I just wanted to tell you a very funny story. That happened um, yesterday in one of my classes. Um, there is, I've got this class. It's five teenagers. One of them is really into football. He was wearing an Inter uh, training. Uh, what do you call it? The training. Uh, the training jackets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The training jacket. And the other people are not really interested in football. But this guy is a little shy. So at the beginning, when you do a bit of conversation, I tried to ask him. So, what are your hopes for tonight's game uh, against Empoli? And he said, "No, I prefer not to speak. I don't want to jinx it." Is he Mourinho? Said, I prefer not and, to and, speak. <laughs> and they said, "So, clean sheet or not?" And he goes, "No, I don't think so." And another guy that is not very interested in football didn't know the idiom. He goes, "What is clean sheet?" And they go, "Well, let's try to think about it. What is clean sheet in football?" And they try to explain, and he's just like, "Okay, I get it, but..." Why clean shit? It doesn't make any sense. And I was like, no, because you're pronouncing it wrong. And he's like, yeah, but a shit is not clean. It's the opposite. And I'm just uh, like, dude, clean shit. And then we went back to shit there is, paper. There is a very unfunny old like song, which is the about, Italian man it, who went to Malta. Yeah, where it's like, I want the fork on the table. Hey, get out of my hotel. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, very xenophobic i would say yeah. I, I want to change my bed sheet what are you talking about what, the sheet on the bed yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah, was yeah. very funny when he said but a sheet and he was going with the classical italian like what are you saying it was like but a sheet is not clean and i was like come on eduardo come on try to think it's clean sheet. <laughs> but guys it's everything we needed to cover in the euro review make sure you tune in to some of the games this weekend and now it's time to jump to our weekly topic, Feet AFC Finners. We're going to cover the life and deeds of Jimmy Greaves. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, and it's time for our weekly topic. Last week, we were joined by Italian football expert Luca. This week around, we are joined by English football expert AFC Finners. How are you doing today, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. 
You don't sound too excited to be back on the Anvil Italian pod. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not the best at showing emotions. I kind of have resting bitch face a lot of the time. <laughs> we can guarantee the listeners that he's smiling. Of course, Rory is here with us as well. And All right. Today, and today we are going to talk about maybe, at least that's what team I associate him with, maybe the most important name in Tottenham. Hotspur history, Rory, is that right, more or less? I think if someone said to you, name a player from Tottenham Hotspur, someone of my dad's age, this would be the first name that would come to mind, undoubtedly. undoubtedly. We are, of course, talking about Jimmy Greaves, the late Jimmy Greaves, who passed away this very year. We're going to go through his career that took him also to the very city of Milan, where he played for the Rossoneri. And then we're going to talk about his career in English football and his days after retiring. I'm very excited. Finn, why did you decide to do an episode about Jimmy Greaves and why is he such an important name in English football? Um, so with um, so I released my video on him a, a, a few weeks before he actually passed away. But I thought like he's... It's weird. He's sort of a symbol of like why... Like something I felt sad about modern football. Like when during the Euros, they showed like the stats of um, England's all-time top scorers. I remember seeing, it and I saw turn to my friends, and I saw the name Jimmy Greaves there, and I said, "It's sad because one day his name isn't going to be amongst that, and people like might not speak about him as much." So I just felt like it's how I feel with all the football history topics I do videos on. But I kind of especially felt like with him, I want to like. Um, just help immortalize him and like because more and more of those names will be lost the more top scorers there are mm. but hopefully as long as people just know their stories and know about them because his his career is so fascinating like his his goal scoring exploits they're like they're absolutely mad like they're up there with like Messi and Ronaldo levels mm-hmm. the amount of goals he could score um and but he has got a very bittersweet story like there's so many highs but sad there's so many lows as well but he's just such a fascinating character, and I just wanted like people to appreciate his career, who he was as a man, and like now that he's passed away, I hope that I've like through just talk about we can help him not be forgotten. Jimmy, we're doing this for you so that your legacy will be remembered by all of the listeners of the Anglo Italian pod. I'm very excited to hear more about him because besides his time at Tottenham, I don't know that much. I'm going to leave it to you guys, Rory and Finn, to discuss the late Jimmy Greaves. Well, so basically his career started at Chelsea and he was kind of, if you wanted to talk about who he was like equivalent to, you'd probably say like Erling Haaland. Like, he's just this young striker who scored like an insane amount of goals for his age. Um, but he wasn't like a side that were necessarily winning league titles. Like Haaland's obviously won the Pokal, but like in, in terms of Greaves, he was scoring ridiculous amount of goals for Chelsea, but they weren't winning anything. And he um, he started to get a bit frustrated like that. So he went to AC Milan for a brief period, but then like he wasn't very happy there. So he came back to England, joined Tottenham, where he truly made his name. Won a series of trophies there, as well as winning the World Cup with England. And um, it was throughout the 60s, he just could not be stopped. And that's how he really made his name. But he started off in the 1950s of Chelsea. But like basically from the mid fifties to around the late sixties, he was virtually unstoppable. Well, if you look at his goal scoring record for Chelsea, it is so. This is where you first kind of the numbers jump out to you. So I'm going to go for it: 157 games, 
124 goals. And as you did point out, this is when Chelsea were very much pre-Abramovich, when they were a club that didn't win much. Um, but how much like how much excitement was there around him at the time by Chelsea fans and by England fans in general? Like, was it you compared him to Holland? Did he kind of burst onto the scene? Yeah, he yeah he there was uh, definitely a lot of excitement around him. See, he, um, he like he netted on his debut and like basically like he he was basically almost like too good for them. Like, so manager Chelsea's manager Ted Drake decided to rest him. For six weeks, just because he was only seventeen at this point, and he didn't want the fame getting to Greaves's head. But then he returned to the starting lineup, and he scored four goals on, in his next game back. Um, so it's definitely all this hype around him. He received his first international cap a couple of years later, and um, like yeah, a lot of teams are being linked to him, and Chelsea needed the money, so he was certainly receiving all this hype. But it never really like it. it it didn't seem like it. All this hype got to him in the same way it would someone like say Neymar, when mm-hmm. the game becomes secondary and it all becomes about the fame. Like he was always someone who just um, seemed to love the game. It was only the end of his career where maybe the fame got the better of him. But in the prime, it was always like his form never really faltered. Well, it's it's funny hearing that because now you get players like Pedri who are like 17 and they run into the ground by the time they're 19. So it's interesting to see, maybe it wasn't for the right reasons, but his manager did kind of try to save his legs a little bit. Um, But as you said, he kind of got his fame at Chelsea. And then this move to AC Milan appears. Um, Now this spell in Italy, it didn't last very long. Um, It was only around six months. And I've got some quotes from him from before he moved to Italy. Um, and he played a friendly with England against Italy, and I believe it was in Rome. And he said, now the game was a friendly, but in name only, really. Um, so just after I was transferred from Chelsea to Milan, um, we had to play a friendly in Rome. We won, and they decided to take us on a lap of honour. Not a sensible policy, given the locals had just started lighting bonfires on the terraces and were busily ripping out seats to hurl at us. I suddenly thought, what the hell have I done agreeing to play here? So before he even got to Milan, he tried to cancel the move, and things kind of went downhill from there while he was there. Um, Despite still having a very impressive goal-scoring record of nine goals in 14 games, um, including a goal against Inter Milan, Tommy. He scored in the Derby della Madonnina. Oh, wow. In 10 games, and of course, he had to to score against us. <laughs> but what I think, think is interesting, I was kind of looking at AC Milan, where were they where they were standing in 1961, and they had won only seven league titles back then, no European Cups yet. So AC Milan were a bit like Chelsea, maybe slightly better than a Chelsea, but definitely they were not the household name that they are right now. The big team in Milan back then was definitely Inter. But the, the interesting thing as well, exactly, is that his first year there is when Nerio Rocco takes over. And him and Nerio Rocco apparently really did not get on because Nerio Rocco was very strict, a very strict training regime and didn't give the players much freedom. Now, this would be a problem that would probably be more of a problem for Jimmy Greaves, especially training as his career would go on. But this is where him and Nerio Rocco kind of fell out a little bit. And unfortunately, after six months... He did return back to the UK, but he did say afterwards, um, I can particularly remember Omar Savori, an Argentinian-born striker who was a naturalised Italian, 
and a big mate of John Charles. He had a party trick which consisted of sticking two fingers in your eyes to temporarily blind you. When I played for Milan, the dark arts were known by every defender. The kick on the ankles, the knee in the back, the over-the-top tackle. You never see the ball without first getting some physical contact from your marker. Even though I only played in Serie A for a few months, I always felt I went to Milan a boy and came back a man thanks to all the physical treatment I withstood from their defenders. So despite it being a short time in Italy, I think it definitely benefited him a little bit. That's what we've done with Rory ever since meeting him. We've beat him up so much <laughs> that now we can finally say, Rory got to Milan a boy and he's going to live whenever he does. If he ever does, he's going to leave a man. Am I finally <laughs> a man? Is that what you're announcing on the pod, Tommy? No, you, you, <laughs> you've recently become a man. But Finn, I wanted to ask you. So he goes to AC Milan, then he comes back after six months and he transfers to Tottenham. Now, was the rivalry between Chelsea and Tottenham already something back in the 60s, or was this a straightforward move? Um, I think there definitely, um, there definitely always has been rivalry, but I don't think it's the same as someone going uh, from Arsenal to Tottenham or vice versa. Um, but no, there, there's certainly rivalry there, but I think uh, they knew... Greaves was a London boy. He won, you know, he'd been homesick for six months. He just wanted to um, be back in London. And Tottenham were, you know, they just won um, a famous League and Cup double, so they were probably the, you know, they were the place to be under management of Bill Nicholson. But um, with the whole uh, AC Milan thing, it just it just wasn't right for him because they, you know, AC Milan were on the verge of. A lot of like glory because they obviously had the famous Nerio Rocker that we just mentioned, and you know, in within the next couple of years, they had the likes of Cesare Maldini, Giovanni Trapattoni, and would win a series of European Cups. But with the whole, I think it was the whole. Um, what you're saying about Nerio Rocco, he was his training methods are very similar to Helena Herrera. They were just exhausting, and like he would, he would often take players on like retreats as well. Um, and like train there and I think Jimmy Greaves did just suffer a lot with not being able to have a life outside football but like towards the end of Greaves' career he probably could have done with like not having a life outside of football like, we'll come into that later but but no with the um, like Tottenham had like you know like I said were the place to be and it was just the perfect move for Greaves but like with what you were saying about how he was treated at AC Milan it did toughen him up he could have come back from that and just not been the same person, but it actually made him better. And he and for all for every everything it said about his time at AC Milan being bad, he still did actually do quite well. He only played twelve games, but he scored nine goals. Like that's pretty good for like, like all he was given. So it's it's not right? quite as Haaland, but <laughs> we yeah. back in the day, come on. I think Haaland has no comparison really. His stats are out there, but I do like this comparison. So what about his time at Tottenham? How did it start? Who was his first manager? How did he fit in this team that had just won the double? Yeah, so so the manager was the um legendary excuse me, legendary uh Bill Nicholson. Um and basically uh yeah, so so they just won League and Cup double and it sounds hilarious now, but Greaves went to Tottenham because he felt they were a club he could win trophies with. So sounds funny I've now. I've definitely but... heard that before somewhere. I've definitely heard it before somewhere. <laughs> um but yeah, he like but he just exploded into form. Like he, he scored a bicycle kick on his debut against Blackpool and also got a hat trick in that game. But he um 
but he basically he took them to an FA Cup final and they they retained it. He scored in only the third minute to give Tottenham the lead, and that was the first winners' medal of his career. So within the first season, he'd already like um, justified his move there, and he'd finally got a trophy to show for all of his goals. It's a dream start back at your club, right? What I liked mm. about the move um, from Milan to Tottenham as well is that it was £9,999 mm. so that there wouldn't be the pressure on him to be the first ever £10,000 signing, which I think obviously now sounds so quaint and like old-fashioned, but I really like that you could see that maybe they, they knew how much things like that could get to him or how much like how kind of volatile person he might be so to do something tiny like that to take a bit of pressure off I think really kind of it it tells a lot but yeah so he has a great start to his Tottenham Tottenham career and then he kind of continues in the same vein right he just league top scorer ad infinitum right yeah yeah definitely he keeps like keeps winning trophies he he was part of the top side that won the Cup Winners Cup, and that was the first English side to win um, a European trophy. And then he went and won the FA Cup again in 1967. Um, and he uh, and he's obviously famously uh, part of the England side at the 1966 World Cup, which um, I think is like for all the wrong reasons. A lot of people refer to as a defining part of his career, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people like allude to that for a lot of the wrong reasons because it's like there's so much he achieved in his career and obviously he did win the World Cup but so many people refer to him as not playing in the final and that's how they remember his career and it's like well look at all the things he did why are you remembering Mm -hmm. him for not playing in a World Cup final yeah it's kind of cruel how these moments kind of define careers but if we're going to talk about what he did do you're right they did win the, the Cup Winners Cup um, he did. He scored in the final, but he was sent off. He got his own, his first and only red card in the semi-final for trying to punch a player who spat in his face. I think, mm-hmm. um, but he did score in the final as they won that. And when they, the second time they won the FA Cup, he was the top scorer in the competition that year. So you're right. He should be remembered for these things more than falling out with Alf Ramsey, right? Yeah, definitely. Because his, because um, he was just very unfortunate at the. At the World Cup, because like, I think if he'd slide the final, it it could well have been him that had a hat trick, or England could have won mm-hmm. like three one two nil a comfortable scoreline. Um, but he sort of like he basically admitted with like his whole World Cup thing, it was like just that he was really happy and sad at the same time. It was like I was happy. He essentially said I was delighted we won, but deep down there was this sadness that I wasn't on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So what what was the problem between him and that? What were the circumstances that led to him not playing in that final? We're going to have to focus on it. I'm sorry, yeah. sorry, Jimmy, but we're going to have to talk about it. So in, in a nutshell, um, he played in all three of the group games. And then in the final match against France, he uh, was on the receiving end of a nasty tackle, which required 14 stitches. Um, so he Oof. was out for um, the quarterfinal against Argentina and the semifinal against Portugal. Um, but he was... Um, he was fit for the final, but Alf Ramsey didn't want to change a winning team because, like, Jeff Hurst had scored mm. the winner against Argentina. Um, so, like, Alf Ramsey made the bold decision, uh, and in all fairness, it was the right decision because Jeff Hurst scored a hat trick. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you can't really blame him now, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, fair play. <laughs> but it, it, but the thing is, it does. It is a story that has a happy ending because, like, at the time, it was only players who were on the pitch 
uh, in the game who could get a winner's medal. And they obviously weren't substitutes at the time. Mm. But about 40 odd years later, all the every single member of the England squad that was um, still alive that didn't play in the game uh, received the winner's medals. It was like in a ceremony at, um, was, I think, 10 Downing Street. So Jimmy Greaves did get that World Cup winner's medal at long last. So for all the um, sadness amongst that, it does have a happy ending. And again, it doesn't it doesn't define his career. He didn't play in the World Cup final. No, well, exactly. In his career for England, it was like incredibly impressive. 57 games, 44 goals. As you said, World Cup winner. Um, he scored several hat-tricks, scored four against Norway, scored a hat-trick against Scotland in the home championships in a 9-3 win. Um, so I think throughout his England career, and it, I was looking through the games, and it was like a really just consistent, consistent goal scoring. So there was a run of four games where he scored eight goals in about 1962, I think, 1961. So it's just, his goal scoring record just stands out. Like the consistency, and it's always one, two, three, one, two, one, three. Like it's insane. Yeah, definitely. Like he just, that was the thing about him, just no matter what he could, he would just always score goals. It just sounds so simple, but nobody else Mm -hmm. was scoring goals like him. And it's just, just, there's just some players who just can naturally do that. Like no matter what, like, and he just, we just go through all the seasons, and you just look at the amount he scores, and it's just insanity. And that's what I was saying mm. at the start. He is like Ronaldo and Messi levels. Like, how on earth do you score that many? Um, it's just, it's just madness. But like, yeah, it, but he, but yeah, he, but he did like as a result of that, did briefly become England's top scorer. Um, but I think even. Like even in his final campaign for Spurs, his final full campaign for Spurs, it was like um, he, he still got thirty six goals, and like you know he's still their all time top scorer like today, um, and whether that'll be beaten is like is unlikely. We'll see if Harry Kane can. It's not looking like it will at the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really not. Look- it's looking safe for now. I'll be honest. Yeah. but but that's what I mean with like how like I, I think that's a key thing to like immortalize his legacy. Just you know, how long that record has last and how mm-hmm. if Harry Kane can't beat it, who can? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we talk about what type of player he was, because obviously you said you, he's kind of burst onto the, the scene like Haaland, but watching him play, uh, what struck me was a lot of his goals look quite modern. Like they're goals mm. that you would see in the modern game. They're not, you know, sometimes you watch like goals in black and white and it's just like kick and rush and it's just a sh- like a, a, a wild shot. Like some of his what stood out to me was his dribbling, his his ability to like chip a ball or slip the ball under the keeper. Like, is there any player like modern day that you think is kind of similar to him, or he's similar to? Um, so I never expected to compare him this much, but I do think like in terms of style of play, he is he is very similar to Haaland as well. There's just that okay. There's just that technical ability that like because a, a lot of like forwards you sort of see a sort of inside force, but he was like definitively central but he could also like drop back and get the ball and bring it forward like I think his most famous goal I can't remember who it was against but it was everywhere when he passed away where he does Mm -hmm. just get the ball like from about 40 yards and then just runs in a straight line like to the edge of box and then just calmly places it around the keeper like that was the kind of player he was he could just like he just had it's cliche but he did just have the eye for goal he could just create goals out of any situation Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think any chance that was given to him, he could take. Because uh, there's a lot of players like someone like, uh, say, Rude Van Nistelrooy, like you would know, gets like would score most of his goals on the edge of a six yard box. Mm-hmm. Someone like um, Ibrahimovic would get like tends to get on the end of crosses. But Jimmy Greaves could do all of those different types. Yeah. Like he could come deep to get the ball. He could wait in the middle for a cross. And it is essentially the, the way of being the complete striker. I suppose he's kind of, he's very similar to like Gert Muller in that respect as well. Mm-hmm. He could just, no matter what, he'll find a way to score. It's not you need to like base the game around him. Just if you just play, he will get in those positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we can't. We obviously can't talk about Greavesy without talking about the kind of off the field stuff as well, right? So this yeah. is a player that I've read stories that often before games he would go to the chippy, like eat fish and chips, have a pint, and then go down to White Hart Lane to play the game and score a hat trick. Like there are plenty of stories about him off the pitch. Now some of these are like it, there, there were lows in his life, but what was he like? Why is he such a sweetheart in like the English? Like mentality, because people really do like him, not just as a player, but as a person. Um, I think it's just because he's quite relatable. Because like, um, people like at the top, like Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi, they have this kind of um, godlike aura to them. But with mm. Jimmy Greaves, he was just you know he's just this like sort of London bloke. Like he he didn't like he wasn't in into all these like fancy suits and things like that he likes you know just british things like pints and chips and he just also loved football so i think he was very down to earth spoke his mind wasn't like false or anything like he was very honest what you saw was what you got and i think because of that people just related to him a lot and that's why he was so popular when he was on the telly with saints and greaves because he wasn't mm. someone who was just like plastic or told the viewers what they wanted to hear he just spoke his mind and they all and everyone all got that he just said what everyone was thinking um but with the whole off-field issues it was like um it did like get the better of him certainly because like you know we, we hear about like people like george best who and it was very much just as bad for greaves it's just he managed to come out the other side of it because um he basically, basically, he ended his career with Tottenham because he lost his spot in the team and decided to move to West Ham. And apparently, a lot of time after training, he would go to a pub in Romford and he would like drink 20 pints and then have a bottle of vodka before he went to bed. My God. And he, and he, yeah, it's, it's madness. And he, he basically said that he spent the whole of the 70s drunk. But I think um, that, like, a significant factor was the fact he did lose a child to cot death mm. uh, and like that that happens and naturally that's going to really affect anyone and I think he found solace in the bottle with that and it did lead to him temporarily splitting from his partner but yeah. um, there is such a common trait of footballers ending up alcoholics and he's no exception to that but he like it just like it, it did just get to him, and he basically said he, he essentially spent the seventies drunk, and as a result, he and after he left West Ham, he was out of football for two years, and he ended up playing for a few non-league sides before he retired. But you do wonder if, like, if he'd been able to stay away from the bottle, would he have been able to make a comeback at the top? Yeah, I feel like, like, obviously that's that's awful, but I feel like that that period for footballers, it was like a really weird time because with George Best and the likes, it's like the first time footballers became 
rock stars, right? Or the first time footballers became like celebrities and the first time they started to earn relatively a bit of money, right? Mm. So I feel like, and obviously at that point, no one's gone before them. So there's no one to tell them how to deal with this fame, how to deal with this. And it just seems like there was a few, because you've got all the, there's a lot of players in the 70s, like Robin Friday is the other kind of famous one around that time, right? Where these players just didn't really know how to deal with it. And a few of them fell into that trap, unfortunately. And if I can make a little joke about it, I was wondering why there was such a physical change between the Jimmy Greaves footballer and the post-football Jimmy Greaves. Let's say, though, that the battle did a lot of bad things to him, but at least he contributed to creating that iconic face and the smile that he had after he retired from football. Because he really looks like two different people. And I remember recently when I saw a picture of him, I was like, hmm, I wonder what he looked like when he was young. And then I looked up the picture and I was like, I know this guy. I would have never said that they were the same <laughs> person. <laughs> they really don't look alike. Yeah, no, I completely but... agree. It's, it's really weird. It's like as soon as he grew the moustache, he became a completely different person. Mm-hmm. It's just but like... like a, a type of walrus kind of yeah. thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He just looks such a, like such a friendly bloke. I don't know. I want to get a pint with him. Well... Well, that's the thing. It's like his his life is all split in three. There's that um, there's that first stage of his career. Then there's the low point um, where like the end of his playing career and his time of alcoholism. But then there's afterwards as well where he became like the face on the telly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he yeah, it's just. But the thing is, he again he did get out the other side. The whole alcohol thing. Yeah. But like, but the thing is, it's like. It does happen to so many footballers, and like Brian Clough alludes to it in his autobiography, where he basically says, "Like, it's just hard to avoid us when you're in football because it's just everywhere. Like, you win a game, people give you champagne to celebrate. You lose a game, you have a pint to drown your sorrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. everywhere, and it's just it's just unavoidable for footballers. And and bear in mind, all these companies that sponsor um, football as well. It's just it's you just can't avoid it. And I think." With a lot of footballers, like they just there isn't much for them to do after training, so that's that's why he just like spent a lot of his free time just drinking because there wasn't mm-hmm. much else for him to do. Um, but he basically he'd been hospitalized for his alcoholism, and eventually he came he came out sober, and he basically didn't have a drink since, except for an article I read like like it was like last year there was some event he was part of and to celebrate he had like a small sip of wine and that was like wow. the only the only drink he'd had since wow. so like to to stay sober from the late 70s until uh, the end of his life that's a fantastic achievement like i'm currently doing a month sober and it's driving me mad so <laughs> i can imagine i can <laughs> fit, you know, the, the funny thing is me and me and the girlfriend said we're going to do sober october and we lasted about 10 days and we're like oh sorry i need a bit like it's difficult it's difficult <laughs> only a couple more days sober, <laughs> sober october that just sounds so wrong it's the beginning of the darkness outside it's just like it's the season that maybe motivates me the there's most there's always an excuse break. Tommy, because it's like august no that's the end of summer like january <laughs> that's after christmas like there's always an excuse right but I think we should finish on yeah. Jimmy Greaves' TV career, right? Because this is obviously for people, I'm going to throw you in the same age bracket as us, Finners, but for people our age, I think um, we only really remember Jimmy Greaves from TV. Now, I'm a, I'm even a bit too young for Satan Greavesy, but I have seen some of the clips. Um, what I love about Satan Greavesy is it, the 
the humor now is a humor you wouldn't get anymore. So there's two mm. jokes that kind of stuck out to me. One was they're, they're commentating on a Saudi Arabia game, and he describes one of the goal scorers as Salman Ian Rushdie, which I did really enjoy, <laughs> and saying that he was going to call his friend, who's a Michael Jackson lookalike, Frank Bruno, um, which I also I also enjoyed. But the, the humor, obviously, we can't, you can't get away with anymore. But what, why do you think that show meant so much to so many people? Um, I, th- I think, again, because um, Jim Grusin and St. John just represented um, just everyone because they were just two run-of-the-mill blokes who liked football. Like they, they were just very down-to-earth and they weren't all like glamorous or fake or anything, like I was saying earlier. And I think people just related a lot with them because the way... The way they spoke about football, like you, you see a lot of their conversations, and they're just—you can tell—they're just um, chatting about it. It's not scripted. Like when you watch Match of the Day or something, you can tell sometimes maybe mm. they, the producers, have said, "Oh, can you say this?" But with them, it was just—you just felt like, like the clips I've seen. It just feels like you're down the, the pub with your mates, and you're just like having a pint, discussing the weekend's happenings and all that. And I think because it was just so. Zizzy down to earth and very real. People liked that. Um, mm. Something uh, I would recommend people looking up on YouTube is a, a combination you wouldn't expect, but he had an encounter with Donald Trump on Saints and Greavesy. I don't know if you guys have yeah. seen it. Yeah, and ba- <laughs> yeah. basically, no, it's funny because basically they're in America and they go into Trump Tower and they get Trump's assistant with the draw for the Rumbelows Cup. <laughs> Rumbelows Cup. It yeah. sounds and, and, so Mickey Mouse as well. But basically, they one of the draws, like one of them picks out Man United, and then I think Donald Trump picks out Leeds, and Jimmy Greaves just goes, "You don't know what you've done, Donald." And they kind of, it kind of, kind of says, like, "I think Donald Trump drawing Leeds against Man United kind of is one of the better things he's done." Yeah. <laughs> so, <Yeah. because> my, <laughs> my favorite but, moment from that clip as well is Jimmy Graves. Jimmy Greaves makes a joke about. Oh, I've not been in a room this night since I was in Doug Ellis's boardroom or something. Like he expects oh, Donald yeah. Trump to know who Doug Ellis is, <laughs> and Donald Trump just laughs anyway. He's like, ha, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Good. I, one. I know. Good I one. know Doug Ellis. He's a great man, the best yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah but he's uh, a great man, one. Jimmy Greaves. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of miss Donald Trump sometimes. Like I just, oh, sorry, we're so not getting much... into that anyway. No, uh... There's so much silence <laughs> around. But you see, you bring up Donald Trump meeting Jimmy Greaves. It sounds like a match made. I don't know. It's a ridiculous match. I'm going to look this interview up because I haven't seen it. Oh, it's very funny because it's just it such is. a bizarre combination. But, like, the, it's the thing. Like, he kind of... But that's... I think that sums up quite well because there's also um, a famous clip of him. I think he's meeting Mike Tyson. But, like, with... He's meeting mm. people like Mike Tyson and Donald Trump and they both just are very relaxed and, mm. like, kind of warm to him. And it's like, let's not... Let's not kid ourselves. Those two people are complete bastards. Yeah, yeah, but Jimmy, yeah. But Jimmy yeah, Greaves yeah. was able to get through to them and they enjoyed his company. And I think a lot of people really wouldn't be able to do that. Like if someone like, um, well, like just some of the modern uh, people you see on TV, I think would really struggle to mm. like get through to people like that. It would just end in a awkward argument. But Jimmy Greaves just is able to just bring like be able to speak to these people. I think because he is just. I know I keep saying it, but because he was just down to earth and able to, like, you know, what you saw was what you got. I think people respected that. 
Yeah, exactly. Perfect. I think we can end it there. I think that's it. Yeah, I think there's um, what we can see from the interviews is just how nice a bloke he was. And definitely search out the Donald Trump one. Also, for regular listeners, we did a feature on Phoenix from the Flames a long time ago. And Jimmy Greaves' Phoenix from the Flames is fantastic, where he does make jokes about him liking a drink with Frank Skinner, who also likes a drink. So I would definitely, definitely recommend that clip as well. But thank you for coming on, Finners. That's all right. Pleasure to talk about legends. I just hope, like, it, like if anyone's listening doesn't know, like, much about him, like, you know, please, like, read up on him because I think it's very important that legends like this are remembered. And with his recent passing, it was great to see all these people tell their stories about him. And I just think, you know, just make sure people like these don't get lost in time. He was a legend and should always be remembered. Thank you so much, Finners. Definitely going to read up more on Jimmy Greaves and on his legacy, both for Tottenham and for English football more broadly. Uh, we'll be thinking, guys, about the next topic to discuss with our friend Finners. If you've got any uh, tips for us, if you've got anything that you would like us to cover concerning English history, please reach out to us or reach out to Finn. Finn, how can our listeners find you before we let you go? Okay, so my YouTube channel is AFC Finners. Um, you can find it on there. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram under the same title. Um, if you want to speak to me about football history or ground hopping, like as I do, please just follow me, drop me a direct message. I'll be more than happy to discuss it with you. Thank you so much once again. And now it's time to wrap it up and to jump to the one minute to kick off quiz. Ladies and gentlemen, we are approaching to 20 points, but not quite. Welcome to the one minute to kick off quiz. Rory Criscuolo, after doing pretty well with the championship quiz, is currently leading 16 to 10. This time around, it's my turn to sit in the hot chair. And Rory is going to quiz me on the the Champions League, not the European Cup. So here we are, and uh, I'm ready to go, Rory. How was your research? Did you come up with difficult questions so that I cannot uh, get six points to come on even points with you? I hope they're difficult, and I hope Transfer Marked has correct statistics this time. They shafted me with the Buffon shirt, and I don't forget. So I am hoping that this time they are right. I have tried to double and triple check. So hopefully there will be no mistakes. Or the only mistakes will be from Tommy and not from me. So, Tommy, are you ready? I'm not ready. As you know, listeners, we do not prepare for this quiz. I was really tempted to look up a few stats, but I'm a man of my word. And I didn't. I'm ready. Commence the countdown. In three, two, one. Which team has made the biggest comeback in UCL history? And by how many goals was it? I don't know. Next. There are two players who have scored five goals in the UCL. Can you name any of them? Lionel Messi. Good. There are two managers who have won three UCL titles. Name them. Uh, Ancelotti. Yep. And uh, Arrigo Sacchi. No. How many finals have been settled by penalties? Uh, zero. One. One. No. 
How many UCL titles does Italy have? Five. Good. How many UCL titles does England have? Six. Good. And who is the oldest goal scorer in Champions League history? It's, it was pretty recent, I feel like. Um, I'm going to say Modric, but it's wrong. No, Tommy, we are out of time. So let's go through the answers, Tommy. So the first question was, which team has made the biggest comeback in Champions League history and by how many goals was it? It was, of course, Barcelona versus PSG by four goals in the Remontada. Mm, in the big fixada, I like to call it, right? No, it wasn't fixed. Do you think it was fixed? Yeah, 12 minutes of extra time. It was like six minutes and then it became eight. I don't know. There are. I don't know. I feel like if one day there was an investigation about that game, I would not be surprised. But let's okay. keep going. Okay, well, we've talked about it before, how Italians love conspiracy theories. But here we go. The second question was... There are two players who have scored five goals in a game in the Champions League. Can you name any of them? I said they Lionel are, Messi. Of course, you said Lionel Messi. The other one was Luis Adriano for Shakhtar in a 7-0 win against Bate Borisov. So I would have been surprised if you got that one. But good work <laughs> for getting Messi. Um, question number three. There are two managers who have won three Champions League titles. Name them. Tommy, you are going to kick yourself for this one. You said Ancelotti. Yeah. The other one is? I cannot think. It doesn't come to my mind. French bold man? French bold man? Uh, Zinedine Zidane. Zidane. Because I don't think of him as a manager, of course. But yeah, the Real Madrid, the Real Madrid hall, of course. Of course. Exactly. So it was Ancelotti and Zidane. Okay, how many Champions League finals have been settled by penalties? Now, I triple count with this because I thought this number was All right. crazy so, high. Off the top of my head, I remember AC Milan Juventus in the early 2000s that was settled after a super boring game in Manchester, I think they were playing. Mm -hmm. Then there was the one between Chelsea and Bayern Munich. And then off the top of my head, I cannot think of any, any other, really. So we have in total seven. What? So, Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid in the 15-16 mm, final. The mm -hmm. 11-12 final, Bayern Munich versus Chelsea. Okay. Then we have the 07-08 final, Manchester United-Chelsea. Oh, true, man. Moscow, of course, the John Terry slip. How did I Exactly. The 0405 final, Milan versus Liverpool. All right. Yes, of course it ended in penalties. I'm so stupid. Yeah. Wait, the 0203 yeah. final, Juventus versus Milan, which you mentioned. Okay. The 2000 2001 final between Bayern and Valencia, which ended 5 4. I do not recall this one. And then the 95 96 final, which was Juventus versus Ajax. Wow, all right. I was way off on this one. I remember seven finals on penalties. That's crazy, right? When you think yeah, that compared to the World Cup or something, it's insane. Yeah, it is. It is. Keep going. Keep going. I'm curious. Beautiful. Number five. How many titles does the how many Champions League titles does Italy have? Now you got both of these, right? Italy have five. And the next question was how many does England have? England have six. So good work, Tommy. That was really good, quick maths. Yeah, I was just like assembling uh, with with Italy. I was pretty sure three for AC Milan, one for Inter, and one for Juventus. 
and uh, England, I kind of winged it. I kind of winged yeah, it. Yeah, it would be a few for United, two for United, two for Chelsea. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Two for Liverpool, one for United, one for two for Chelsea. One for anyway. Arsenal, two for Tottenham. No, wait, I'm way off. <laughs> Moving on. Um, and then the final question was, who is the oldest goal scorer in Champions League history? Tommy, he's a favorite of the show. He's from the same country as yourself. It's it's a recent one, right? It is. It was scored in 2014 against um, CSK Moscow. I do not know. Tell me, tell me, tell me. It is Francesco Totti. 38 oh. years old, one month and 29 days. Oh, Pupone. Sorry, sorry. I did not remember that one. But this leaves it as 16-13. And Rory, we said the first one who gets oh. to 20 is going to be the winner. But I think that to make it even, you're going to get a go. And if you get to 20, then I also get a go next week because you are, you're always the first one, right? Okay, right, 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 right. Trust so me. you need to have even games. That makes sense. We that need to have sense. even games. And you needed to pick your topic for next week right now. Uh, oh, God. Um, AS Roma. Oh, all right. I like it. I'm going to write it down. AS Roma, their history. Very good. I like it. Oh, Christ. Right. Yes, good. <laughs> Rory, anything to tell our listeners before I send them off with our customary quote? Um, have a good weekend, guys, and enjoy the quote. Enjoy the quote. Well, first of all, remember to follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and also to follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And guys, if you haven't yet, this might be the right time to tell a friend about our podcast. Our numbers are sick, as always, but you know, you could always help out. Guys, it's time for our end of the episode quote and celebrating. Finally, the sacking of Ronald Koeman from Barcelona. We went back, back, back to February and we found this great quote. Honestly, at the time, at this time, I don't see many teams better than Barcelona. Nice one, Ronald. We'll talk to you guys on Monday night for our customary Euroview show live on Twitch and on YouTube. Have a good weekend. 